Hello and a warm welcome to the podcast for the October 2008 issue of The Lancet Oncology. I'm Richard Lane. In this month's issue of The Lancet Oncology, there are two research articles looking at diagnostic tests for the precursors of cervical cancer. In a moment, we'll hear from authors of those two papers. But before that, I'm joined by Lancet Oncology Deputy Editor Emma Cannell. Welcome, Emma. Hello. Let's just have a quick chat about your leading edge editorial this month. And also just to quickly mention any other content highlights before we go on and hear more about HPV. Let's kick off with the leader. This is looking at transplantation and specifically it's looking at organ transplantation in the UK and a BBC survey about whether we should be opting in or opting out. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. What are the issues here, Emma? There's several issues. The survey, as you say, was conducted by the BBC and they they interestingly showed that 66% of the public were in favour of an opt-out system which is when patients have to actually opt out, obviously, before they die, as opposed to the current opt-in system. But interestingly, only 50% of doctors are actually in favour of this opt-out system, according to this survey. That's because there's several ethical issues involved here. You'd think with 9,000 people on the waiting list in the UK alone and 100,000 in the US, and with 1,000 of those 9,000 either dying or no longer being eligible within the next year, that this wouldn't be a controversial issue. But some of the ethical considerations are that doctors might feel that uh, it damages the fragile trust between the doctor and patient. And also doctors always face the problem, even now, of which drugs they can give to patients because some are contraindicated for transplants. One other question I had about this really is, I guess, the relevance to the field of oncology. I mean, this is a broad medical stroke health issue, isn't it? Why is it specific to the oncology field, do you think? Well, I wouldn't say it was specific to the oncology field. The problem of cancer after transplants is actually well known where patients are immunosuppressed. But also in patients that have kidney or liver cancer, it's sometimes used during the treatment of such patients. The liver actually is a regenerative organ. But for cancers such as hepatocellular carcinoma, patients sometimes present with limitations to resection. And cirrhosis is also a risk factor for HCC. And of course, in these patients, they have additional damage to the liver. One of the other considerations is that you're looking at two different populations of patients here. You're considering the patients that obviously have the right to the best available treatment, you know, and that are eligible for transplantation. But you also have an individual's rights to have control over their own body. And there are many in the UK over the past few years that have felt that the UK government in particular is becoming far too authoritarian. So is this a step too far and how many people will actually be in favour of doing this? There are also vulnerable people whose understanding might be too limited. And how would you actually reach people? Would you do it through advertising? There are religious and cultural differences in the UK. We're a very multi-ethnic society, so all these things need to be considered. A soft opt-out system, such as they have in Spain, could be the answer. In Spain, they actually have the highest proportion of organ donors in the world, with 34 donors per million population. And the soft system is a presumed consent, which, after a patient has died, the doctor will approach the relatives of the person who has died, and they have the option of then preventing the transplant. So this could be the best compromise and the way forward. But obviously the issues that I've mentioned have to be given due consideration. Thanks, Emma. It's a very interesting uh, topic and well worth a read. Just briefly, Emma, some other content highlights and then we'll hear from the authors of the HPV articles. Yes, it's a very exciting issue this month. Um, We have another article that I'd like to highlight to the audience. 
and that is the effects of anastrozole, which is an aromatase inhibitor, on cognitive performance in postmenopausal women who are at high risk of breast cancer. And these are women that have a family history. And these are findings from the cognitive sub-protocol of the International Breast Intervention Study, the so-called IBISH-2 double-blind placebo-controlled randomised trial. And this randomly assigns women to either five years of anastrozole at one mg per day or placebo. Now, interestingly, in contrast to the mild cognitive impairments that have been recorded in previous cross-sectional studies, these particular authors did not note any significant differences between the groups for any of the cognitive tasks that they measured. And they say that future studies that assess cognition should be done within a randomised trial setting with baseline assessments to ascertain the true extent of these putative effects. Thanks very much, Emma. And as mentioned, this month's issue of The Lancet Oncology contains two articles looking at diagnostic testing for human papillomavirus and its association with the precursor of a cervical cancer. First, let's start with the HPV article looking at testing in a rural community. Earlier, I spoke to Professor John Sellers, who's based in Ontario in Canada. Professor Sellers, you're one of the authors of an important study in the October issue of The Lancet Oncology, and this is looking at a promising diagnostic DNA test for cervical cancer. Before we go into some of the details, can you just give us a little bit of background? Up until this study, what evidence has there been that uh, enabled you to carry out this study? Pap smear, as you know, has been around for over 50 years, but unfortunately it hasn't made much of a dent in the morbidity and mortality of cervical cancer in developing countries. As a result, an alternative, uh, which involved table vinegar, really, uh, applications to the cervix by nurses. After waiting for one minute, they usually uh, used a, a torch, a flashlight, to shine on the cervix and uh, inspect it. And if there's a geographical white area, then this visual inspection with acetic acid commonly known as VIA, is deemed to be positive and the, the woman can then be managed appropriately and treated. This alternative, VIA, has uh, shown itself to be about as accurate as pap smear, but a uh, big difference being that you get the results immediately in real time and can manage the woman during the same visit, which is really a plus for uh, low resource settings, rural settings, remote settings. Molecular tests for HPV DNA would be ideal if they could just be made to work in these low resource settings. And this is where PATH came in, along with assistance from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, to form a public-private partnership between PATH and Kyogen, which used to be Digene, to uh, try to come up with a a affordable, appropriate, and very simplified version of their HyperCapture 2 test, which tests for carcinogenic types of HPV, and, uh, and it can be used as a screening test. So the current study is looking at um, a DNA test, and this was done in a fairly rural setting in China. Presumably, one of the important features here is to be able to do a test that is reliable and accurate, but where you get a quick result, because presumably there's an issue of people, women, actually getting to the centres to have the test. That's exactly right. So this, this test was really different in a, in a big way from the existing HyberCapture 2 test, which takes about uh, six to eight hours to get a result. This test uh, can be done in two to two and a half hours, providing a, a little interval for the woman to wait, and then uh, the 10 to 15 percent of or so of these women over the age of 30 that have been screened with the test that are positive 
can then be further managed and treated during the same visit, which is really an attractive, appropriate uh, way of servicing them. So it has all the advantages of VIA, plus it's a lot more accurate, probably twice as accurate as VIA and pap smear for detecting high-grade abnormalities. And just to be clear, so this is a DNA test, which is basically the, the point of it is to detect the HPV human papilloma virus DNA subtypes that are known to be associated with SIN, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, which is the precursor of cervical cancer. So it's a way of detecting the nasty DNA, if you like. That's correct. It's a DNA molecular test, and it detects 14 of the most common cancer-causing types of HPV. And could you just summarize the results and implications of the study? Presumably what you're doing here is comparing this test with more established conventional tests. Yes, and this is the essentially the first demonstration of this new test. We used a prototype of the test. And uh, as you said, we, we did this in a remote setting in rural China. And it really demonstrated that the test works clinically. It uh, had a sensitivity of 90% using cervical samples to detect high-grade abnormalities. And only about 84% of normals were falsely identified as positive using the new test. So fairly acceptable, high enough sensitivity to really warrant its serious consideration. Also, the uh, important thing was that it could be done in a rural setting. So we actually did the test in the rural setting the same day that the uh, women arrived. And the person that did the test there had very little training. She was actually uh, the proverbial farmer's daughter that was trained up uh, by Kyogen to do the test in a very short time span of about one to two days. And the other interesting factor was that uh, vaginal samples were also collected and compared to the cervical sample results. And these uh, had a very acceptable sensitivity as well, approximately 10% less than the cervix, which is uh, consistent with other studies' findings. So clearly a very promising result. What are the next steps? I think this really is a promising test because it'll work with the cervical provider-obtained uh, samples, as is traditional, but in some places, such as African countries where they have very few specula even for vaginal examinations, the vaginal sampling route has real advantages there too. And uh, so, you know, it could be uh, that you use vaginal samples collected by workers out in the villages, brought back to the, uh, the testing center, and then the one in 10 women that are positive uh, can then be examined with a vaginal speculum that, was, that are in short supply. So, the next step is going to be um, another public-private partnership supported by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and it'll be supporting operational research in public health settings, clinics, uh, two places in India, in Hyderabad, and uh, New Delhi, in rural settings, and also uh, settings in Uganda, and also in Nicaragua. So these will hopefully form regional examples for other countries and provide data so that the policymakers can do evidence-based decision-making to compare the cytology results to the HPV test results with this new test to the VIA results and look at the costs and consequences that have been uh, enumerated with the research 
and make an educated decision as to which way they want to go forward in their public health program to prevent cervical cancer. Well, we'll follow this research program with great interest. Professor Sellers, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet Oncology. You're very welcome. Many thanks to John Sellers for that interview. Also in this month's issue, we have an HPV testing article, but this is looking at a more developed or urbanized setting. Earlier, I spoke to one of the authors of the study, Dr. Ronco, on the line from Turin in Italy. Dr. Ronco, you're the author of another paper we're publishing in the October issue of The Lancet Oncology, looking at uh, testing for human papillomavirus, HPV, which we know obviously is associated or can be associated with SIN, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, and therefore cervical cancer. Before we go into the details of your study, can you just tell us how previous research had informed your decision to undertake the current study? Testing for a DNA of various types of uh, human papillomavirus is more sensitive than cytology to detect high-grade uh, cervical intraepithelial lesions. There is a need for strategies that increase specificity while maintaining the advantage in sensitivity. In this study, we investigated the accuracy of HIV testing followed by triage with P16. How many women were involved in this study? In the overall study, about uh, 100,000 women were involved. In this study, about uh, sub-study, uh, about uh, 20,000. And to be clear, this is a randomized study, so women were randomized to either receive the new test that you're looking at, the P16 test, with conventional cytology. The overall study, randomized study, uh, that is called NTCC, uh, is mainly a study comparing uh, HIV testing with uh, uh, cytology. In this sub-study, we investigate P16, actually uh, all HIV positive women were referred to colposcopy. We took uh, a sample for uh, P16 uh, immunostaining uh, uh, at the moment of colposcopy. We computed sensitivity and specificity P16 among HIV positive women, which uh, sensitivity was 88% and specificity was 61%. And we also estimated which would have been the sensitivity and referral to colposcopy if uh, only women uh, positive to both HPV and P16 were referred. So 35 to 60 years, uh, sensitivity was increased uh, with the strategy by 53% compared to uh, the sensitivity of cytology. And this was obtained, uh, which is more important, uh, by referring to colposcopy the same, substantially the same proportion of women. In younger women, uh, 25 to 34 years, sensitivity was uh, three times higher uh, with this uh, strategy when with cytology. Cytology was increased only uh, slightly. This is the key finding, isn't it? So it's, it's all very well having a test that is sensitive, an increased sensitivity is desirable, but when it comes to specificity, the reliability of the test, you don't want over-referrals, do you, to, to colposcopy? Yes. Of course, uh, our problem was to uh, maintain the uh, gain in... Um, insensitivity uh, while uh, uh, keeping the uh, referral to colposcopy substantially uh, the same or not to increase it uh, too much because uh, uh, colposcopy means uh, lots of time for women, uh, anxious anxiety and, uh, and so on. And it's expensive. As a result of 
the findings from this study. What do you think the implications are now for the way women are managed clinically in this setting? Do you think there's benefit in, in this test being implemented straight away or is more research required? Data are very promising uh, and uh, the strategy of HPV testing and P16 triage could be a, a good uh, strategy. This is uh, the first study and uh, as always uh, one would like to have uh, some confirmation. But I think in short time we should have answer uh, to implement this in uh, clinical practice. Dr. Ronco, many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Oncology. Okay, thank you to you very much. Well, that concludes this extended podcast for the October issue of the Lancet Oncology. Many thanks to all our contributors this month. Thanks for listening. See you next month.